to the Wise Cast by Sundaram Mirchul. Hi, good evening, friends. I am Sunil Subramaniam, the managing director. The presentation is going to be on the economy, the markets, and your investment portfolio in the context of the COVID crisis that has hit us. So, to take you to the brief uh, summary, exact uh, summary of today's presentation, I'll be covering the impact of the COVID on the global economy, what it's done, and there are three responses. Let's bear in mind it's a medical crisis, so there's a medical response. There's a monetary policy response, and then there's a fiscal uh, front response, right? So as a result of it, what are we seeing as an impact on economic growth, the GDP of the of the world, right? So we'll look at the global economy first, look at the Indian economy in the short term, and then Indian economy in the medium term. There's a specific reason why I've split the Indian economy into short term, medium term, which we'll get to know as I get into the presentation. And then we'll move on to the impact of all of this on the stock markets and to your suggested equity investment allocation. I'll end up with telling you how Sundaram is managing its portfolio across its various things. Uh, beyond that, there's nothing much going to be a fun about Sundaram today. So the global economic impact of COVID, if you have to look at it, right, it's a wide-ranging impact. I've given here the key top uh, sectors in the world. And if you can see in that graph, right, there's a left-hand side which has a light pink and a dark pink. And there's a right-hand side which has a light brown and a dark brown. So the right-hand side, as you can see, 0, 20, 40, 60 is the positive impact that COVID has had on some companies in that sector. And the left-hand side gives you the negative impact. The two things that I want to point out here is that every sector has had at least some companies benefit from COVID. So uh, to think of it as a crisis and that's hurting everybody equally, it's not correct, right? That's one, because from a stock picking perspective, it still gives us stocks to choose from those sectors. The second thing you can see is where is the largest negative impact and where is the largest positive impact? So as you can see, food, beverages, consumer electronics are where there's a roughly equal split in terms of the crisis versus the non-crisis. But materials, metals, heavy equipment, oil, chemicals, they are the ones deeply impacted. So bearing this in mind, right, let's move forward to a start point that I wanted to use today. So many of you who have spent uh, over a decade in the stock markets uh, investing either directly or through mutual funds, uh, would aware that the previous severe crisis that we all faced as a world was known as a global financial crisis, right? It was also known as a subprime crisis. The world responded in a particular way. Recovery took a particular path. And hence, as history teaches us the best lessons, it's useful to compare this crisis to the GFC, as we'll call the global financial crisis, to see what's different. And so how's the response different? And how's the impact going to be different? So that'd be a very useful benchmark to keep in our mind. So the first thing first is, as you can see from the headline of the first paragraph, it's a supply versus the demand. This crisis is clearly a disruption in supply. Whereas, why? Because the medically, the, the virus, right, the coronavirus hurt employees who could come to work, factories got shut down, and hence the world supply got disrupted. Right? Now, at the same time, during the GFC, what had happened? During the GFC, we had got a subprime mortgage crisis, which what happened, ordinary people used to take mortgages, buy a new house, mortgage that house, buy a third house, mortgage, like that, the whole thing spread. And hence, when the thing came collapsing down, there was a big impact on demand. So what happens with the demand versus supply issue? I'll come to it in a little bit later. But the second issue with regard to the difference is the source of the problem. In the case of the global financial crisis, the world was unclear as to what caused it. 
they were grappling with it in different ways before they figured out that this was the root cause here there is no root cause choice there is a ravan called the corona virus and all of them are united in attacking it the third thing because of the lack of clarity on the cause during the gfc the world reacted slowly little by little trying to figure out what's the best methodology here since there was a clear villain identified both the speed of the response and the size of the response as you'll see in later slides was massive so there was a very quick and concerted action and then the last point in this slide is about coordinated action this is very important because in the gfc different countries acted at different times in different manners but in the case of this has been a coordinated action between the governments of the world in hitting this problem so coming down to the difference now the clear difference is that there is an expectation of a v shaped recovery versus a u shaped recovery that happened in the gfc why is that the case what's a v versus a u a v indicates a sharp fall and a sharp rise a u indicates a fall slowly and a rise slowly the reason for that is that in a supply side problem as is the coronavirus problem once you fix the supply problem supply can immediately come back on track but in the case of a demand problem there is two things right you pump money you give money to people so they are able to buy things but mentally during the crisis they have switched off from buying so getting them to go back and buy again is a slow process and different people do it at different times and hence a gentle u shaped recovery follows from a demand related crisis the other reason why there's a v shaped expectation is because the world has addressed through lockdowns and i'll come to the lockdown very quickly but because of the lockdown there's an infection containment as you know india used to have this red green and orange till recently so what it means is that in the red zones life is very badly affected but in the green zone lives can come back to normal so that means also bulk, a lot of the economy can come back to normal that's another reason for the v shape the third is there's hundreds of thousands of scientists putting all their energies and resources behind trying to find a vaccine or a cure so to that extent on the perspective of the markets they are saying that in a year's time we should have a grip on either a vaccine or a cure so to that extent you know once a vaccine or cure comes and you can imagine right the whole world will breathe easy and life will come back to normal in a shift so that's a binary event zero or one you don't have a vaccine cure today tomorrow you have it the whole approach will change so that's another expectation from the markets and finally yes while i say v shaped recovery if the world chooses to treat this as a demand problem then the answer will also lie in demand so it's important the world also different countries will how far they tackle the supply side versus the demand side is a critical in whether that country will have a v shaped or a u shaped recovery we'll come to this when we look at india and what we have done so now let's look at the global response to covid and as i mentioned in the exact summary there was first a medical response which was called the lockdown all of you are familiar with what a lockdown is and this slide and the next slide right these two slides carry all the major countries of the world and if you see as you go from left to right you're going from week 1 to week 9 and a light yellow color indicates a moderate lockdown and a dark red indicates a severe lockdown so if you quickly glance through here you can see that there was a slow start and then quickly ramping up right and then as you can see in week 9 there is a slight ease it's true of this slide and the next slide there's one point to bear in mind here is in the middle of the first slide towards the bottom you can locate india and it's curious 
that while India started slow, by the third week, we had gone to a level of 10, which is most severe, and we stayed there for four weeks. And if you look at the screen, there ain't anybody else at 10. Even in this slide, there's nobody else at 10. So one takeaway here, we'll come to India in more detail later, is that India has been one of the quickest to get to a severity of lockdown and one of the longest that we have kept the severe lockdown on. This has very important implications for the future. So just bear this thought in mind. Why I say this is, now when you talk about the V-shaped recovery, because of the success of this containment by and large in the world, the focus of the governments has now seen a sharp shift towards the resumption of economic activities and easing of the mobility restrictions. So that's one thing that the lockdowns the world over, they feel it's working, right? So here, if you look again at the right side, can you see so many countries, some have moved to yellow, some have moved to light pink, right? and even India, which is of interest to us. If you can see in this slide, in India, India was at 10 in week six, moved to eight for the next two weeks, and has moved to six in the week nine, and subsequently we know that we have even gone to unlock, right? So this tells you, that the world's action, the swift action and the severe action of the lockdown has been by and large successful. So dwelling for a minute on India, right, on this matter, I know a lot of people are discussing a lot, A, should we have done the lockdown? Second, should we have done it so severely? Were we too late? Have we, you know, delayed it? So I want to leave this slide on you. This is data as of today, okay? So these are the top five countries in terms of the COVID attack, and India is the fifth rank today, as you know. Look at it. The world has 70, 000, 70 lakh COVID cases, of which there are 4 lakh deaths. And if you go by the numbers as given in the slide, you can see that India, despite being the second largest populous country in the world, number of people, right? If you take that ratio, it'll be wonky. We are contributing only to 3.7% of the world. And you know what is India's population contribution to the world? With 134 people, we are a huge contributor to the world population. But we have only 3.7%. More importantly, we have only 1.8% of the deaths. So what I'm saying is that if you look at it, and our recovery percentage at 4% has been better than our case percentage. So putting all this together, right? I think it's important to pat ourselves on the back on the way the government has initiated a quick lockdown and has succeeded in it because we have kept the death rate well below the average. As you can see, uh, the average is quite, quite high. US is at 27%. The UK is at 10%, right? Russia is slightly below that, 1.5%. But not only that, to the extent now we are in a position where we can ease considerably. So you see the writing on the right side, India has now eased considerably with unlock 1.0 commencing. It is because of the severity and the quickness of India's action that we are able to move to unlock also quickly. So I think that if you look at it, India has been comparatively more successful medically in handling the COVID virus. So that's the first point to bear in mind. So this coverage, before we enter into the unlock phase, a few days before there was this data published about 733 districts in India. And 44% because of the lockdown, 
we had prevented the virus from going from the red zone urban areas into the 44% rural areas. So one of the keys here is that in that 44% of districts, life is coming back to normal very fast. So which means what? It's a clue that rural India is going to come back on track. The Rabi harvest has been good. The Kharif sowing has been good. There's no labor shortage with all the migrants going to labor. The monsoon outlook is good. So a farmer is generally feeling much better about his future and hence rural consumption should be bad. Just a small clue to you in terms of the way forward. But this 18 now easing, right, is the important thing to track. And we'll come to the economic impact of this later. So let's go back to the globe away from India to look at the economic response of the globe. So to understand the economic response, right, when you're, how battle ready are you, it's important to look at the scene just before COVID. So I've got a graph here. Don't get too worried about the lots of lines. Just look at it as three blocks. There's a left-hand block, which is the year 2018. There's a middle block, which is the first three quarters of 2019. And there's a right extreme block, which is the fourth quarter 19, right up to first quarter 21. So the key is, if you can see those blue bars, right? They're all declining in the first two quarters. That is because the world was recovering from the previous crisis, tighter policy, the Fed and the ECB had started hiking interest rates and tightening their balance sheet. And Mr. Trump had also started the trade war. So that impact led to a slowdown in the world in growth. The next year, the next 2019, the Federal Reserves understood that they had erred in quickly tightening and they eased it up. But still, because Mr. Tariff War was going on, the growth continued to slow. Then in the fourth quarter of 19, Mr. Trump suddenly signed the phase one deal with China. So everything looked good because the policy was easy, trade tensions were easing, and so the world was expecting that up to 2021, you'll be back with a 65th rise in the growth rate from 2.9 to 3.5. So the world was set for an easier policy was continuing, trade tension was easing when the COVID came and punctured the balloon. Why I'm saying this is, so the first response of the globe was naturally to print more money and make the easy policy even more easy. So if you see here, unprecedented global monetary stimulus from the central banks, right? The Fed and ECP alone expanded their balance sheet by $2.4 trillion and Euro 6 in just two months. And estimates suggest that during the current phase, around $13 trillion of note chart, as if I may call it, printing money effectively, expanding the balance sheet. It's going to happen. And America alone is going to do more than 60% of that at $8 trillion. So the world has decided to fight this with throwing money at the problem. Okay, number one. But supply of money is not good enough. Supply of money has to be accompanied by cost of money being made easy. So the world has also resorted to massive rate cuts. As you can see, there's a declining uh, line on the right hand side and if you see down below since December 19 there's a 64 basis points cut and since December 18 there's a 177 basis points drop so there is cheap money and plenty of money flowing around the world to go and invest wherever you want or revive the economy whatever what's going to how what's happening with that money we'll come to a bit later now that's the monetary response right from the central bankers, the Fed, the RBI, and all of those. So that's not good enough. Simply by providing money and simply by giving easier money, the world is not going to recover because people are losing jobs. So there is something called a fiscal action, which is action by the governments of that country, right? 
and when they spend the money it's called a fiscal stimulus right so now just look at the amount because i told you about the speed and the size of the response right you saw how much money was being pumped in fiscally also huge amount of spending has taken place just before covid the total fiscal impulse that the world was doing was just 0.2% of the world gdp it has ramped up in a few months to almost 4% 3.8% of world gdp and who's contributing the biggest america naturally takes the lead the dark blue square you can see the next biggest was eurozone and the third was china right so there's been a massive fiscal stimulus response right and the key here is if you look at a breakdown of this and don't get into the details of this slide just read the headline the focus has been on job retention and business loans programs that's the point i want you to bear in mind because when you talk about job retentions and business loans and grants what are they they are supply side impacts that is you are trying to tell employers don't sack your people because getting them back to work is going to be difficult right so you are basically telling them right i'll give you money keep them on the payroll india did that we said 24% provident fund contribution for the next 3 months government will pay now the employer can claim that only if the guy is on the rolls right so job retention is one second is to give a loan to the business in this tide to tide over the cash flow shortage so that he doesn't sack employees so the focus of the world has been on the supply side that's one point the next problem here right such a huge stimulus can lead to huge fiscal deficit so the world has had to innovate right so why do i bring this point and what is the fiscal deficit to those of you who are new to economics let me briefly explain right fiscal deficit is nothing but a government spending and government income right governments follow cash accounting that is this year what i get is my income and this year what i spent is that so when there is a fiscal deficit it means that the government is borrowing more than it's earning now you must be wondering right as an individual i can't do that right i can't you know keep on spending more than i earn somewhere it's to catch up but governments can do that why are they allowed to do that because that difference between the borrowing between the expenditure and the income they can always borrow to fill the gap and do governments have an unlimited ability to borrow no so that's where the fiscal deficit as a percentage of the country's size that is gdp is the limiting factor for all countries bar one okay, which is that one will come to but so rating agencies are the ones who control this so standard and poor moody's fitch these are global country rating agencies who tell the country that you are okay you are an investment grade or you are a default likely company and that's the problem if the fiscal deficit is too high you are going to borrow either from your local people local corporations or international then the risk of defaulting because you can't service that interest and principal no when it's due for repayment so these rating agencies judge that and why do they tolerate higher fixed deficits by any country if they believe that in future that income is going to rise which means you are spending money today right capital expenditure or revenue expenditure if that spending can lead to future income then in the future my income will go higher than my incremental expenditure and my fiscal deficit will come down that confidence the rating agencies need to get with that brief uh, summary of what is a fiscal deficit let me tell you the innovation the world did because when you spend money it comes on the balance sheet and it's a fiscal deficit so the world has discovered a new instrument called a guarantee 
What do they do? To a bank or a non-banking finance company, they tell them, please lend to this segment of the economy. I will guarantee the loan. Since you give a three-year loan, if a borrower defaults, I will give you back the money. So the bank then is not worried about default and goes and lends because in such situations and such timings, banks are very hesitant to lend. They are scared that that guy will not have a job, he will default or his business will be collapsed and he will default. So they are very scared to lend. So there's a credit freeze. So this is a good way to get it out of the credit freeze. But the beauty from a fiscal deficit perspective is such guarantees are called contingent liabilities. That is, they will not be counted in the fiscal deficit today. When will it be counted? If a borrower defaults at the end of, let's say, three years. To the extent of one borrower defaulting, the bank will ask the government for the money and the government cuts a check to that bank. Then it will come in the country's system. So, A, we don't know how many people will default. And when they default, only this will come in a future year's fiscal deficit. So, a brilliant, if I may use the word, jugad, the world has come up. You know how much? The guarantees on budget, off budget. Can you see Germany has 37%. Of budget, the light brown line you see is off budget. But there is one country which has not done anything off budget. That is the U.S. in the middle. Can you see all that it has done? It has done on budget. It has said to help with all these guarantees. I don't care. Why? Because the U.S. doesn't care. So first of all, let's see what this innovation has done. It has still not prevented from the world from expanding its fiscal deficit. So if you look at it, the G4, the G4 countries are the top four countries, which are the US, the Eurozone area, uh, Japan, and the UK. And you add China to it, their fiscal deficit are expected to expand to 13.5% of GDP, from 10%, which during the previous crisis they reached. So there's a 3% greater expenditure by the top five countries of the world. And in the US, can you see that unbelievable number? Their fiscal deficit is set to touch 19% of the GDP. Now you must be wondering, what is this? How can the US, India, we are wrestling with 3.5, 4.5, and US is allowed in 90% deficit. The reason is twofold. First, the US is considered as the only zero default country in the world. So there's an unlimited of money which foreigners are willing to invest in that country. Two, the US dollar is considered the reserve currency of the world. So when in doubt, people dump dollars. People go and buy dollars. They invest in that country and buy dollars. So this unlimited supply of money that U.S. gets, the U.S. says, I'll borrow. I can borrow unlimitedly because I'm never going to default. So the U.S. is the only exception in the world where the fiscal deficit has not been constrained. And hence, this year, they're going to touch 19%. But as a Eurozone, it is a concern. And there also, you're seeing there's a 3%. So now... You had the monetary impact, you have the rate cut impact, and you have had the fiscal impact. So, what is the impact on the world GDP? Because this is a V-shaped recovery, the expectation of economists is all that COVID is doing is pushing back global growth by a year. So that which we expected in 2020 is going to happen. So, from that perspective, if you now look at it, you can see the V. So, what is a V? A sharp fall and a sharp rise. So the expectation of the world is that this year, the world will have a negative 3% contraction in GDP. Whereas in 2021 calendar year, the world will jump back to 5.2%. So you can see the shape of the V in the graph. right? And if you look at it there, the developed markets are going to recover slower. It is China, which is expected to recover faster. And overall, emerging markets are expected to recover 
faster. So those are the colored lines which are self-explanatory. So what is another way to judge whether this V-shape will be expected? There is something called the Baltic Dry Index. It's a trade-related index, right? Which means what? When trade suffers, the rates at which ships are contracted for freight. So if you're manufacturing cars and you want to export from Chennai to Korea or Chennai to Europe, you can't just manufacture a car and go and call the ship and say, tomorrow I want to send it. You have to book the ship three months, six months, one year in advance, right? So that he's ready and he diverts his ship from wherever he is to come to the port. So the Baltic Dry Index is a very good indicator of future trade happening. And can you see that over one year, it's been down 40%, right? That's the nature of the recession, the world experience. But over the last one month, there has been a bounce back of 27%. Which means what? It means that ships are being booked few months in advance for goods to be transported. So this is a clear indication that the V-shaped recovery is on the way the world. Right? Let's focus now on India. Right? Now, the Indian economy situation is a little more complicated. Why is that? Because we were one of those countries, I showed you a bullish expectation of the world in the previous few slides, right? How the world was pre-COVID crisis thinking that we are going to bounce back. But that was not true of India. My dear friends, India was already in a slowdown. What is the reason? It started with, in 2018, there was negative food inflation. The excess supply of food, farmers were very disappointed. So they stopped buying things, a consumption slowdown started. And then, the NBFC crisis with ILFS, that started, and NBFCs dried up for funding, there were some defaults, and hence they stopped lending, and the economy went into a sharp slowdown. This tells you, don't bother about all those colors, it just tells you that, read the headline, capital formation, that is new factories coming up, and private consumption, both have been on a declining trend well before. So this is from quarter one, 2017. Quarter on quarter, there was a rise for the first year. And then can you see systematically every one of these indicators, consumption, capital formation, right, export imports, everything has been declining. In fact, on top of this has come the COVID crisis. I'm putting that this slide for a reason. I said that India was the most intense on lockdown with a 10 for three, four weeks. But because of the lockdown and the severity of it, we comparatively were more hurt economically than the rest of the world. If we had chosen not to do that, what would have been the case? We would have not had such a bad economic hurt, but we would have led to more cases, we would have led to more widespread cases, and we would have led to more deaths. Why? Because India does not have adequate hospital and doctor infrastructure, healthcare infrastructure cater to this if it had got out of control. So the lockdown was absolutely necessary from where India's situation was, but because we took a humanitarian approach, that one life lost is also as important as any GDP. We chose to do this, but we faced the brunt of the heat on the economy. So I showed you the red, orange, green zones. Well, I told you that 44% of the Indian districts are in green. The fact is, that the 75% of the GDP in India comes from the red and orange zones, right? So because of that factor, red and orange zones have contributed to a shrinkage in our GDP. So, 
last quarter because the covid crisis came in february it started and in march the lockdown started last quarter's real gdp came down to just 3% right hence full year 2019-20 nominal gdp growth came to 7.2 nominal gdp growth nothing but the gdp number which is spoken about which is real gdp plus inflation so last year we had very low inflation so we had real gdp growth at 4.2 and a nominal at 7.2 so prior to covid itself the tail end of the quarter the covid also hit we were already in a bad growth situation now why is this important this is important from a fiscal deficit perspective because this fiscal deficit is a function of growth now i showed a, a big table here i don't want to run you through the table this table i'll keep with me just for reference but i'll summarize this table here so what the slowdown in growth has done is first last year's fiscal deficit that is in the budget when we present we say that we will have a fiscal deficit of x this year so when last year in june after the elections results when nirmala madam presented the budget she said that i will have a 3.3% fiscal deficit for the year gone by she revised that to 3.8 in february when she came but the actual number has turned out to be 4.6 right so india's borrowing situation has been far worse than it was predicted to be and uh, hence from a rating agency perspective this is something which is not good at all right so that's one revision the second revision the reason for the revision is that we couldn't control our expenditure so we had a 5% growth in our income receipts we had expected 16% growth in our income income tax all these kinds so what are the shortfalls happened because we had a 200000 2 lakh crore shortfall in corporate taxes why because remember last year the government reduced tax rates from 35% to 25 why did they do that i'll come to that a bit later they wanted to boost manufacturing but for this last year it has led to a massive shortfall it was also because of the slowdown and everything a 95000 crore fall in income tax and capital receipts government was hoping to do disinvestments and all of that didn't happen as much as they wanted so the 50000 growth whereas expenditure growth remained at what was budgeted right so typical problem that all households face the government of india faced but this is not without its fallout right so now this is history but rating agencies who look at this and the government wants to spend this year's money so this has naturally impacted this year's forecast right so when you now look at this year's forecast what's happened thanks to the lockdown just in april month we have reached already 35% of our target for the full year in one month so this year is not looking good in fact for this year if you read the next line the receipts shortfall is only 5 and a half lakh crores and the capital receipts because we had projected 1.2 lakh crore of disinvestment but where the stock market corrected that probability is not looking so great so that's a shortfall and so what does the government do it can't cut revenue expenditure that's government salaries interest payments and all of that so it has to cut capital expenditure which is the worst thing to do but there is no choice right so the government is halving its capital expenditure but despite doing that they are projecting the fiscal deficit at 6.2% this is our calculation this is not an official forecast 
but this is what we expect at the current situation the fiscal so clearly very alarming because we were at 3.3 expectation last year we are now almost double of that so clearly why am i bringing this to the fore is because government has been under pressure to spend money to revive the economy to give away money to the migrant laborers to give away money to everybody they have not been able to do that i know a big package was announced that's because of this status so it's important that all of us understand why this government acted the way it did and what has it done because that's very critical to understand the markets okay so then gas fiscal stimulus response is limited by our fiscal deficit challenges still what did the government do they announced a 21 lakh crore stimulus right so modi made that announcement it was great joy right we are spending 21 lakh crores but if he had really put that on the balance sheet of the country our fiscal deficit would not be at 6% it will be at 16.6% of gdp there is no way that he could have actually spent 21 lakh crore so what has he done because if they had done that we would have immediately been downgraded to below investment grade so look at our current ratings right there was a b double a2 from moody's triple b minus so b double a2 is two notches above investment grade good space to be the double triple b minus from snp and fitch is just at investment grade we are at the borderline so moody's looked at this data and downgraded us to b double a3 sorry it's not been added here so this bwa2 has become bwa3 because you know moody's recently down but bwa3 still investment grade that's why the markets also have not reacted badly to it right after moody's downgrade market is up but if we had gone to 16% of gdp there's no way that any of these rating agencies would have maintained india below and why that is important i'll come to that a bit later but answer to that lies in something called phase for for uh, foreign capital to come in right so how does the government propose to limit this fiscal deficit at 6.2% if you are really going to use 21 lakh crore right so first why was the need for this 21 lakh crore this need for 21 lakh was to give confidence to the indian public the government is doing something right it's just a it's more of a public relations thing saying we are doing our best because if they really go and say this is all i can do then there would have been a major right the opposition has been saying to help with the fiscal deficit point spend this is the time to spend 10% of gdp and all of that right all that is not viable and not at all uh, you know considerable so mr modi did this to give a sense of confidence to the plus in this 20 lakh crore the way he's done it there are other certain things which i will point out later so coming to this thing hence the necessity for what i would like to call as indian jugaad So what's the jugaad? So first of all, this 21 lakh crore number, which is incidentally 10.5 percent of our GDP, it contains of multiple components, right? So there's a monetary stimulus by RBI of 8 lakh crore, 4 percent of GDP, which has no impact on the fiscal deficit because RBI is just creating liquidity in the economy, right? Second, there was an interest rate reduction of RBI by 115 basis points, 75 bips before Atmanirbhar, 40 bips after Atmanirbhar. No impact on the fiscal again. Third, so 21 minus 8, 13 lakh crore is the fiscal stimulus, which is six and a half percent. 
but still the government managed to restrict the fiscal deficit impact to 0.7 to 0.8% of gdp how did they achieve this juga right first of all the rate reduction right can you see in the indian economy when rbi reduces rate they reduce at the short term right before it as you can see the 10 year gsec rate over the last one year has also dropped 115 basis points 117 so there has been a transmission across the tenor it's not yet reflected in full transmission to the public to the borrowers but whether it's a short term or a long term there is a change in the okay now we come to this 6.5% as you can see i have just given it here saying how much was in each one of those Arthur phase one, phase two, phase three. This is just academic interest, right? So the first part is what the world did. That is loan guarantees. So what did the government do? Government said three lakh crore you lend to the MSME for three years. I will guarantee that loan fully. And to NBFCs, they said you lend this percentage, some X twenty percent of that outstanding guarantee. So overall, through guarantees, the government was able to cover in the last line two point two percent of the GDP. Through this, so out of six and a half, two point two got taken care. Right. The second advantage to the government was that the crude price in this COVID crisis has crashed. So the crude price has crashed. So what is the benefit from India? Eighty percent of India we import our crude. So naturally our import bill has come down, which is positive for the fiscal. But the government did one more thing. What they have done is that. They have hiked excess duty on fuel, so they have not passed on this to the public. By hiking excess duty, they have increased their income. So that has helped up 0.8 to 1 percent of GDP, depending on how much correction you see in demand. Because in the lockdown, there is a correction in demand. So if there is no correction, zero percent on the left, it would have been 1 percent. But I think there is going to be a 20 percent correction. So the extreme end will be 0.8 percent, right? So. Now we come to this table, and this table I cannot skip because I would like to cover it for you. So what is the government done here, right? So let me do one thing. Let's just note down the only the top number. So our GDP size is today 200 lakh crores. So 203,398. That first comma, right? After 398, before that it's lakh crore. So any number you want to read, just read after the comma. It's lakh crore. So if you see the, this is the accounting math, right? I don't go. But as you can see here, I'll try to show you in a later slide a little more clarity. Yes, so this explains that Jugad here, right? So the total stimulus was twenty-one lakh crore, right? Twenty-one three fifty, which is ten and a half percent GDP. The RBI monitoring easing accounted for eight point one lakh crore, which is four percent. The fiscal stimulus package thus was six and a half percent. So six and a half plus four is ten and a half. Out of the six and a half, guarantees were two point two. Right. So the net fiscal stimulus was 4.3. What was this 4.3? Then what happened? Before I come to the next line, just go down. So can you see that revenue without the crude hike, right? Revenue is going to drop almost 4 lakh crore, 3933. If you can see the number, so there is a 2% negative impact on the fiscal deficit because of a drop in revenue. But the 1.7 lakh crore that they are going to get from the crude excise. I helps get back 0.9 percent as income. So the net revenue impact is only 1.1 percent negative. Second, capital receipts year on year. As I told you, right, the government was hoping to do disinvestment uh, of public sector companies, but that number 
is now going to be only 349 so that's still a positive so 0.2% so now when you see right how has the government now achieved the balance so what they have done is what they spent last year so i draw your attention to other revenue expenditure 23496 last year government spent on revenue expenditure 23 lakh crore this year they are saying they are going to spend only 17 lakh crore why they are just shifting what they normally spend they are just showing it as a stimulus package that's the jugaad right it's last year to this year if you see revenue expenditure hasn't changed all they doing is taking out a bit of that expenditure so they are robbing paul to pay tom right so they are just reassessing the revenue expenditure and so they are hoping to keep the revenue expenditure constant with stimulus and other expenditure so clearly some departments are going to face a severe cash crunch in order to accommodate where the government wants to spend this money second aspect is the next line capital expenditure when you see government is reducing proposed capital expenditure for this year by 1.3 lakh crore 1.307 compared to last year so why i'm saying these are the harsh decisions the government has had to take they are cutting out expenditure in other departments they are cutting capital expenditure in order to make this whole fiscal package work so that's how they have been able to limit our fiscal deficit in the bottom at 6.2% of the gdp hence now see the government has not done much through this package to boost demand or boost supply so this year we are going to see a negative so as you can see there this quarter already there is a 9% negative for this right and as you can see there is a v shaped recovery why because we are in unlock phase 1 already and we are done a lot of other things which will help our recovery i will explain that to you at the future so clearly india is also in a v shaped recovery but this year while the world was down by minus 3% right for this year india is going to be probably far worse and i've got here i must tell you that this is slightly before the stimulus package was announced but as you can see the stimulus hasn't done much to anything for the growth this year so i've drawn three cases here because portfolios are not built on just one view you have to hedge your bets and keep for probabilities for different cases so there's a best case there's a base case and there's a risk case right so if you look at the best case the best case is that this year we'll end up with zero i don't think that's going to be possible the base case is about the negative 1.7 to 2% gdp but the worst case is that we could be actually full year down 10% of gdp Right. these are probabilities you will also say probabilities with this depends on how the lockdown pans out how the recovery happens but it's important to keep all of these in mind the first line there and the reason i point out this is because of the right hand side because first of all there is sizable economic in the hotspots which are in trouble the red second social distancing because of that reason delay in recovery labor challenges ahead migrants have gone they have to come back and as i said limited fiscal power so the scenarios are pretty challenging for this year but at the same time for the same reason as the world a v shaped recovery is also likely in india so now i want to shift the outlook to the medium term outlook and what is the reason for that the reason for that is after this medium term outlook i'll go to the markets right and in the markets right the short term outlook there are day traders there are people who invest for 3 months 6 months 1 year 
but there are also a huge number of players who are investing in the medium term also. So for them to understand them, then only we can decide our portfolio allocation. You need to understand what they are seeing in terms of medium term because they are looking to make money from India in the medium term, right? So from that perspective, we need to get a grip on the medium term outlook for India once this current COVID crisis is gone, which means essentially I'm looking at an India a year down the road. From that point of view, it's important to come to terms with what I would like to call as a China opportunity. What's the China opportunity? The China opportunity comes from the fact that Chinese labor supply has started shrinking. Why is it the labor supply shrink? Because they're not producing enough new people. Why are they not producing enough new people? Because they instituted the one family, one child policy many years ago. So that happened that in 2017, you can see the dotted line in the middle of your screen, that cuts off at the year 2017, which is the period when China has started losing labor. Means older people are going out of the workforce, the same number are not coming in. This labor supply shortage quantified from 2017 to 2027, 10 year period for China at the bottom of the graph, you can see is 21 million people. So there are 21 million laborers who are going out of the workforce. It has to be substituted by somebody else, right? It has to go outside China. And when you go outside China, who is at the top of the ladder? The top of the ladder is India. And it's an unbelievable number because we didn't follow family planning like China did. So we are in the same 10-year period adding 116 million people. So we have a huge surplus labor and compared to any other country, Indonesia is at 19 million, one-sixth our size. Philippines is at 11, one-tenth our size. The sheer supply of labor from India is one of our biggest structural advantage. That's not all, just one. Second, how long is this labor excess supply going to last? As I'm showing you in this graph, the red line refers to China. So as you know, red dotted line, 2017 onwards started declining. Now you look at the black line, which is India. When is India's decline going to start? The year 2050. Which means what? In 2020, we have 30 years of uninterrupted increasing labor supply. So it's not just about being surplus right now. It's about the fact that any manufacturer can come with a long-term vision and say for the next 30 years, I'm not going to have any shortage of labor in India. Any long-term investor, that consistency of supply is very, very critical. This is the second structural advantage. The third structural advantage is thanks to our education system and our skill-based IITs and ITIs and uh, engineering colleges and all of that, we have ample supply of labor in every skill group. Whether it's a basic skill group, you have 62 million, no, sorry, you have 624 million. In the moderate skill group, we have 77 million. And in the advanced skill group, we have 62. Compared to any other country, we have multiple times the labor. So you want to get technically high quality labor, you want to get basic tailors, and you want to get basic fitters, we have supply everywhere. So the next is that thanks to Indian education system, we have adequate skilled labor across the range. Next is the cost advantage. See, China is at a per capita income, the red line, near to $10,000 per capita GDP. Per capita GDP is per capita income, which means the per capita labor cost, right, roughly. India is at $2,000.
we are one fifth the cost of China on an average labor cost perspective, right? And America, who buys from China today, is at sixty thousand dollars per capita income. So he was buying from China because it was one sixth the cost, but India is one fifteenth the cost or one thirtieth the cost of the U.S. sixty thousand versus two thousand. So global manufacturing will go where there is a cost advantage. So this is another structural advantage for India. So if you put all of this together, financial attractiveness, I will come to financial attractiveness in a little bit. I have not covered that yet. Take people skills in everybody and business environment. All the three we are at the forefront in terms of being the most attractive, right? Now, so given this situation, what's the kind of potential that we can get? So our estimate is that China has more than a trillion dollars of exports, and we believe that anywhere between half, one third to half of it can get shifted over a medium term, 350 to 550. So take the average of 450 billion today, because India has got these structural advantages with a lot of other things to be done. Today, Vietnam is the best in terms of grabbing this opportunity. And the estimates are that 140 billion of this, that's one third of it, Vietnam will grab. India's a bit far away at 69 billion, but we believe that as we get our act in order, we can easily replace Vietnam and become number one. But for that, we need to do other things which we will look at now, right? And for that, just see this, right? The government has started acting on this. What is this? So if you see here, electronic exports and imports, right? So India substituted its electronic imports with manufacturing here. So Samsung, Apple, all of them started making them. So if you see, just before the COVID crisis, our exports were rising at 30% per annum and imports were dropping, right? So we had already started getting the electronic imports. Then the COVID came and hurt it, and there was a collapse. But now the government has launched a $6.7 billion plan to boost electronic manufacturing, where they're going to give a production-linked incentive to help India to produce 10 trillion, just 10 lakh crore worth of smartphones. Just announced three, four days ago. So as you can see, India is gearing up to take advantage of the opportunity from China. Electronics was easy to do because it doesn't need a lot of land, right? It can be a multi-storied building where you set up the entire. This capex cycle is important, right? And what did I talk about it? Why? Because you need this manufacturing to come in. We need infrastructure for that. But the problem for us is we don't have money. You saw that in the budget estimates, the government has cut the capex expenditure. So foreign capital attracting FDI is an imperative. So all of this that I said can't be put into action unless foreigners come and invest in India, whatever they have invested in China. Right? For that, we need to make foreign capital attractive to come to India. So what is that? So the first thing is that, and back to this sovereign debt rating slide, why I'm saying this is, yeah, on the right hand side, I've explained that Moody's has done it and we don't expect to do it. But read line below. In such unprecedented times, the fiscal roadmap, that is future income of the government, and the intent to reform are key for the rating agency. So why I want to point this out is in the whole 20 lakh crore package, government has introduced a whole host of structural reforms. So if you see the first line, what I've written there. India has chosen not to waste this crisis and has upped the ante on the reform. So instead of catering to the immediate recovery of the economy, government has chosen to do 
the long term things right why because of two things one rating agencies they want to tell the rating agencies look look my fiscal deficit is going bad but don't worry i'm not spending it now i'm going to do a lot of reforms which will make my future earnings come back so i'll be back on track so don't downgrade me number one number two you want to get more foreign capital what is reforms reforms is opening up the doors to foreigners and to private sector so what are the reforms the government did there are agri reforms here essential commodities are given from coal coal lining has become commercial private sector has been allowed to come in defense production they have allowed higher fdi they privatize utility power discoms and they are also done important thing the whole public sector apart from strategic sectors has been opened up to the private sector so if you look at this slide i'm not just quickly so this is a slide which i had 2 3 years ago and i brought it back now to make a particular point the headline gives it away so you have there is four spaces here right there is a x there's a line like this so if you see that the left hand side of the graph is what is less likely to have happened the right hand side is what is more likely to have happened easier reforms the top and bottom the top is that which is done will have a high impact on the economy and the bottom is low impact so obviously less likely low impact is not important right but what is important is more likely more important government is already acting on it but more likely less likely more important are the spaces where during this 20 lakh crore atmanirbhar program government has pushed through a lot and a lot of other things what is it coal mining can you see agricultural marketing can you see msc reforms can you see foreign sovereign bond issuance i'll come to that manufacturing push defense manufacturing so all of these less likely reforms which we thought are going to be very difficult in this difficult time government has pushed through that's the beauty and that's where we believe one of the key things is foreigners are very very happy with what's happened and i'll show you the evidence for that so what is the big deal about this whole thing the big deal is that revenue expenditure is compared with capex in this there are three definitions imf definition rbi definition and npnipf so i'll just read one for you right on the left hand side is revenue so what imf says is one rupee spent on revenue the multiplier effect declines to half after about 4 to 5 quarters but in the right hand side when you see the capex part of it right right there is 16 quarters stuck the multiplier effect lasts so can you see these reforms so mr modi could not spend on capex in this budget paisa nahi hai kazana khali hai so what he is trying to do is to do the reforms so that the private sector and the foreign private sector come in and invest in the capex so that this 16 quarters is both coincidental 16 quarters is four years what's due in four years from now the next general election so all of these actions when taken place right one hopes that in the run up to the next election that there is enough manufacturing noise there is jobs being created and there's a mahal being created about india's development so this is actually mr modi's gauntlet a very smart move where he has used this big number but that's all in you know not really today's boost but used it to push through a lot of reforms which effect should be seen over the next 2 3 and 4 years to come so what are these reforms let me go through them in detail apart from these that i said there are a whole bunch of other things not only here but from a lot of other places what are these first the recent corporate tax cut you saw that no we lost 2 lakh crores of income this 
last year because of this cut. But it was long overdue. Why? If you want to attract foreign capital, the foreigners will go where tax rates are low. 1997, we were at 35 to 40%. 20 years, we have been at 35 to 40%. Today also. All our competitors have gone, as you can see in those lines, all in the same period. They started at the same level as us. All are massively cut and grabbed all the FDI. We did not cut for such a long time. Now, last year, we cut it. And we cut it, cut it in a big way. First, for existing companies, we cut from 25 to 25. But for new manufacturing companies, we, as you can see in the graph, have cut it to 17%. To the extent that today, when you compare the rest of the countries in the world, only Singapore, right next to us, is equal to us. Every other country is more tax than us. So India's corporate tax has become the lowest among its emerging market peers, and that cannot be a hindrance for a foreigner. In fact, it's a big positive for India. Next, the work the government has done on ease of doing business, EODB. Over the last five years, 2015-20, there are countries like Mexico and Brazil which have gone backward. There are some which have been flat. There are some which have grown, like Indonesia and China have gone 47 ranks and 52 ranks. But India is the most improved with a 79 rank jump over the last. So five years back, somebody looked at India and said, oh, it's so difficult to do business. So now it says, oh, it's 80 ranks better today to do business. Is there scope for improvement? Absolutely. Is the government working on it? Absolutely. So this ranking should improve in the years to come with all these reforms, but already over a five-year period, it's a big positive for India and foreigners when they come will be cognizant of this. Right? Next, apart from that, clearing the path in the budget for foreign capital, they've increased the limit for FPIs in our corporate bond index. They've extended the lower withholding tax. Sovereign wealth funds are given 100% tax exemption for interest, dividend, and capital gains if they lock in for three years. Full tax waiver. Then this DDT reward has solved the double taxation suffered by FIs because the tax was here and taxed in their home country as income. And global pension funds, insurance companies, and sovereign wealth funds will now look at India's infrastructure more favorably. And finally, even for FDI, DDT reward improves the feasibility for FDI investments as when they invest in a project. The way they can take that money to their country is through dividend from this company. But if you're going to tax it through DDT, you're making it less viable. So this DDT removal was, I also believe, targeted at the FDI to come to our country to really make India the cheapest country to do business in. Right? And then the government also said that a separate G6 series get foreign money from NRIs. Right? So India has already become a magnet for FDI flows. So you see from 2001 to now, and since Mr. Modi came to power, 36 billion to 60 billion to last financial year, 71 billion dollars of FDI has been coming. But what is the problem with that? I'll tell you one minute. But before that, right? For FDI to come, this can go up even more. But what is the problem with this? This money has been coming into our internet startups like Swiggy, Zomato, Paytm. It's been coming in as private equity capital. It's not yet been coming as much in manufacturing factories. Right? So we need to divert the quality of the expenditure from the foreigners just from being private equity, but to actually building plant and machinery because that only can create jobs. 
right? So India is a magnet already foreigners giving, but this can easily double for India. And so for the future, what are the positives for India? The first positive is that crude price means rupee will become stable because 80% India is importing crude. So our foreign currency will become stable, which means for a foreigner, when he puts money and wants to take it out one year, three or five years later, if the currency is weakened, his returns get corrected to that extent. If the currency strengthens, his returns get enhanced to that extent. So all foreigners expect a weakening because they are from a stronger country. But how much that weakening will be country to country makes a big decision. So because this crude price drop has given rupee a stability because India's imports will come down, our balance of payments will improve. So foreigners feel that India, there is less of currency risk. Second, RBI has been systematically building our foreign exchange reserves. So today we are at 479. The latest data show it's at $493 billion, which means what? It means that it is a war chest with RBI to fight any weakening of the repeat. So the foreigners also get comfort that Reserve Bank of India has the strength and the power to prevent the currency from weakening. So they believe that RBI will act in its terms. So this is a source of comfort for stability of the currency. Right? And this FDI flows that I talk about. India, not only is our amount of FDI going up, our share of world FDI has been sharply shooting up from almost 0.2% in 2000. And 2014, 15, we were at about 2%. We have already gone up by 75% to 3.3%. I believe we can go to 5% and 6% in no time, based on all these other steps that have recently been taken in terms of the taxation policy. So I believe that India has set the base for FDI flows to happen. So with that in mind, and with the medium-term future of the Indian economy looking good on account of these things, we come to the markets. Because in the markets, please remember before I step into this final set of my slides, is that in the markets, there are day traders come in and go out within a day. There are hedge funds come for one to three years. There are Indian investors who invest with a one-year outlook. Then there are mutual funds which come with a three to five-year outlook. There are pension funds which come with 30 years, 10 to 30 years outlook. And there are sovereign wealth funds which invest with no horizon in mind. So why I'm saying this, the reason I'm focused on the medium term economic future is there are different players in the market who put money in all at the same time, but with different endpoints in time. So their view drives their inflow into the market. So don't think that Indian economy is bad news for this current year means that no money will come into the market. As you're already seeing, money has been coming into the market. With that proviso, let's look at international markets. I have a reason for saying that. Right. So we all know, I summarized it from the earlier, about the massive amount of money that the central bankers across the world have pumped in. I've just repeated all of those, and that's easy and cheap money also. So this unprecedented global monetary stimulus, where has it gone? Which asset class? As you can see, First is gold. If you look at the one-year return from gold, it's 26%. Right? Next one is gone. It's gone into debt security, fixed income. So the US 10-year, one-year is minus 1.22% down. So when does fixed income return uh, come down? When no more money changes it. Because the Fed cut rates. Right? And it's the short end. But for the longer rates to come down, money has to go and flow into those 10-year 
US Treasury, right? So that tells you that money also went into it. Not so much into the German Treasury. So German Treasury, German was is a negative. So people don't want to pour money in a negative. So it is only down 0 0.04, which means a year ago it was 0 0.32. Now it is 0 0.02 negative. Then sometimes more into US equities, not so much in the Dow Jones, because the Dow has commodity companies and which are not doing well. But in the Nasdaq, because Nasdaq has a lot of tech companies and it has a lot of global brand companies, right? So that's the 29% return that the Nasdaq. So clearly, preferentially, some money has gone into equities, but more into the tech side of the business. Then emerging markets have not got good money. China has got about three and a half, uh, you know, percent return that indicates the kind of money. Emerging markets are flat one year, but India is down to an upper point. India was already in a slowdown, I told you. So naturally, Indian market return suffered. But in staying on this same slide, I would like to draw your attention to the left in the middle, the change one month percentage. Why I'm saying that I want you to compare what happened for one year return which is a cumulative action of what happened three months ago since the crisis and then go there, to what's now happening one month now. Then you see gold is flat. So gold is flat means that money is stopped chasing, which means gold is a safe haven. It is now going into riskier assets, right? Next, what has happened in the US 10 year? There's a increase in interest rates, which means money has gone out of its Decrease in interest rates means money has gone into fixed income. Increase, even Germany has an increase. So in the one month, money has gone out of fixed income, away from the stable. And in the one year, the Dow itself is up 14.5% because a lot of correction had happened, right? Over the one year. So Dow is up 14%. NASDAQ is also up 11%. And the broader US market is up 12%. Money is beginning to flow back into risk assets in equities. And even in emerging market, which are the riskier among the equities. So you see MSA emerging market is up 12%. India is up 9%. China is only up 2% because there is still a variance about China. So this one year to one month, can you see the difference? That gives you the thought process that when the growth printing started, there was a flight to safety. But over the last month, so what does this indicate, my dear friends? This indicates the market is beginning to discount a V-shaped recovery in the economy, and hence money has started flowing into the riskier assets. This one slide tells it all for you, right? And now, apart from this, fixed income is actually interest yielding fixed income, right? Or you make capital gains. But there is another class called cash and money market, M2 plus institutional money market, which is without any return, just putting the money there, right? During the global financial crisis, $1.2 trillion went at the peak. They also did note shop then also. This time it's $3.4 trillion. That is three times the amount that went in the previous crisis is sitting in zero interest accounts. Now, why on earth would people put money in zero interest accounts? It's because they think that soon they are going to change their stance. Okay, coming to that, look at this. As a proportion of the equity plus debt market cap or pure equity, this money is nowhere close to the peak. So there's a huge way this can go to the peak of that. There is room to go. And what's also happened in the same time is money outflow from mutual funds and ETFs across the world. 
Every crisis, they take away money from equities, right? From risk. So if you see 2002 to 4, it came down. How much? Just about 1% negative. Then 2008 to 10, global financial crisis, again came to 1%. 2012, tapering that crisis, again it came down to 1%. Then the previous 2016, 17, it came to half and bounced back. Now it's back to the previous close of 1%. So my dear friends, what this is saying, that it's reached the bottoms. It is 1% of market cap of 0309 and 012, and hence is things are poised for a bounce back. When that bounce back occurs, how much can move in? If you take right $3.4 trillion, don't say that all of it will come back. Even if you take the median, the average median, or move back to the median, would imply a potential market demand of $2 trillion for equity. So all of this money note shop that has been printed is waiting and ready. The moment say these green shorts, they're going to pump in the money. So let's move from the international markets to the emerging markets. Most emerging markets have been hurt by this risk of trade, right? So just look at it here. Calendar year 19, 2019. By and large, good emerging markets got a lot of money. Korea got about a billion dollars. Taiwan got $10 billion. Indonesia, $3 billion. India got $14 billion. So 2018 was a good calendar year to take. Everybody is negative. But this calendar year has an interesting breakup. So I've split up JFM, Jan, February, March, and financial year to date, April onwards. Why? Because the crisis hit and then changed, right? So look at what has happened. Korea continues to be negative. JFM was negative. April to now is negative. Taiwan continues to be negative. Indonesia is slightly positive. Philippines continues to be negative. Thailand continues to be negative. But India, can you see how the world has flipped in its thought process about India? From in three months, they pulled out $6.3 billion to now in just two months, they brought in $4 billion. What has changed dramatically in India, my dear friends? What has changed? The lockdown had continued. Mr. Modi announced a 20 lakh crore package, but there was hardly any boost to demand at the ground level. In fact, India got downgraded by Modi's. In all of this, why are foreigners suddenly liking India? One aspect is that, first, of course, India has done a lot to invite foreign capital, DDT, removal, all of that. But can you see this? is a sign that long-term investors are using the correction as a buying opportunity because they believe that the reforms package that Mr. Modi has announced through this Atmanirbhar program are things which are going to hold India in good stead. The China opportunity is waiting to be grabbed. There's a world which is turning negative on China and hence foreigners are speaking with their checkbook. You don't need any commentary. You can read all the news, all the big public experts speaking, all that. Leave all of that. Follow the money. Money is coming where they believe the future is good. Right? So, emerging markets, eh? if you look at it, they are trading at a 30% discount to developed markets. So as the V-shaped recovery becomes apparent, I'm not saying only India will get the money. Other emerging markets also should get the money as the V becomes more visible there. Right? And let's now move to Indian markets. Right? In Indian markets, what's happened is that, again, look at this, right? I've shown FII active in the spot market, first row. Second is FII in the derivative market. 
and then there is MF actually. So can you see here again that last two columns only you focus on, right? JFM, FIS have pulled out 48,000 crores from India. But when they pulled out 48,000 crores, domestic mutual funds bought 39,000 crores of those stocks. So the correction that you saw in March was despite that. That's how the fall was so sharp that mutual funds, domestic investors bought all that FIS sold, but still they could not hold it. But April to now, Domestic MFs, when FIS has started buying, they have bought 28,000 crores April to now. Domestic MFs have sold slightly. Why? It'll answer will come later. I'll give you the clue now. Is they are selling those large cap stocks to the FIIs and they are buying mid caps and small caps. How I'll show you that a bit later. Right? But all this buying is not happening because India's earnings growth is rocketing off the charts. No. In fact, Financial year 18 through 21 estimated, Nifty's earnings is only going to grow two and a half percent. So it's not like that the immediate future, there is a huge earnings bounce back, which is going to lead to this. Right? So if you see one year, the domestic indices, all this FII is selling, right? Mutual funds bought it. So one year return about 13-14% since I can Nifty. Mid-caps lost a bit more because domestic fund managers were trying to buy from the FIIs, so they were trying to sell off the mid-caps, and naturally, being riskier mid-caps get hurt. Small caps, you know, hurt, 19% negative. So there was a flight to safety here, because FIIs were selling good quality large caps, which were started buying, and then they also liquidated some of the mid and small cap holdings to buy more, but whatever is, end result, everything was negative. But look at the beauty in this one month, my dear friends. In the one month, what's happened? Small caps have risen 11%, mid caps are 9.5, and sensex is 8.2. So can you see domestic fund managers are beginning to reallocate towards mid caps and small caps. At a time when FIs are buying, they're saying, oh, here, take it. But they are taking that money and they're reallocating it more to mid cap and small cap. So this trend I want you to observe and catch. So let's move now to the valuation. We saw the earnings is not great. So what's happening to the valuation? So let's look at the valuations from a FII perspective. So India, this green line is the India's premium to the world stock markets. And the blue line below is India's premium to the emerging market. We have always been at a premium, consistent premium. Why? Because India has always been a darling of foreign investors. We took a correction recently, but now it started bouncing back. So if you see here, India's premium has corrected significantly and moment it came down to the 20% correction level, you saw in the last end, it has started bouncing back. So one of the other reasons that foreigners are buying is that they are saying compared to the long-term average, right, the dotted line in the middle, there's a super correction, 20%. So they have confidence that India will go back to that thing and hence they have started buying and they have brought it back to the level which is historically there, okay? Now, let's look at the foreigners from a large cap, mid cap, small cap perspective, right? Before that, there's an interesting slide which I want to tell you. So, the slightly complicated, so bear with me for a minute. So, the top green line is the difference between government of India's 10-year yield, which is today 5.75%, and Nifty's earnings yield. Earnings yield of Nifty is nothing but 1 by PE. So, if Nifty PE is 20, 1 by 20 is 5%, 100 by 20 is 5%. So, the difference between that is 0.7, if the Nifty PE were that. So this, when will be, when Nifty PE goes up, the yield will come down. So this difference, right, when it goes up, the market's value, when it comes down, the markets are correcting. So the bottom bluish line is actual Nifty level. 
so can you see that how the premium shapes the gives a clear direction so correction in that yield tells you the market is ripe for a bounce back so in the end of the column you see there has been a correction in that yield and hence the market has started bouncing back so it's indicating that valuation is not expensive why because there should be a significant difference right it should be negative because nifty is doing at a 15 p which means for 7% 5.75 of the 7 there's 1.25% negative now let's look at the msci large cap the other reason why foreigners are investing in india while the pe ratio of the large cap msci india is a large cap index is at the long term average as you can see it's along that line the price to book of india is trading below at a discount the next graph below why i'm saying this is the indian corporates have already created the assets their earnings are not showing today but they don't have to build fresh capacity to do fresh sales so the price to book value which is the net value of all the fixed assets and current assets of that company is trading below which means they can easily grow so that's the reason why foreigners are coming back because they see that india's capacity utilization has gone down as reflected in the price to book ratio and hence easily they can build up without adding to their fixed cost they can build up sales and profits the same is true of the mid cap index mid cap index is trading in fact slightly below pe itself but it's also significantly below on price to book the same with the small cap index is trading at the pe level of the long term average but as a price to book it's trading at a discount so can you see broad range of indian market is trading at a discount when you look at it as a price to book from a foreigners perspective you look at it from a domestic perspective or typical nifty nse and bse small cap indices against their long term average till recently they were all at the average they've just slightly gone above right and if you look at the how the market has moved from the peak this was 17 was the peak as also remember when the nifty was trading at 18 pe mid cap at 24 pe and small cap at 20 pe Today they are significantly corrected. How much? Today it's fifteen and a half, thirteen, twelve and a half. So the right you can tell you, you can tell you the red shows you how much the P has corrected over two years. See, large caps have only corrected two point three percent, but mid caps have corrected eleven percent, and small caps have corrected seven and a half percent. So today, mid and small cap valuations are very very attractive compared to the Nifty. If you take the NSE mid cap. it is trading at a 16% discount compared to a 35% premium in december 2017 bsc small cap is trading at a 20% discount compared to a 12% premium in 2017 december so clearly a sharp correction has happened in mid and small cap and they are ripe for a bounce back so this is another chart which tells you they are ripe for a bounce back you look at capital returns of the nifty the mid cap index and the small cap index as you can see generally whenever there is a red line which is a bad year for the stock markets there is a strong bounce back but because in the calendar year 2018 and 19 we had this whole economy going to a negative you had almost two bad years for small cap and almost two bad years for mid cap so this year also is not going to be great because you only have a few months left so you are going to see that you almost had a three year pause in returns from the mid and small cap so the year 2020 one calendar year and seeing will see a sharp bounce back if history is a guide right and bear in mind that if you invest over the long run i know 3 years 5 years and all is looking bad but if you take october 13 when this new cycle of growth started right since that cycle over a period of 7 years almost 6 and a half years 
still mid and small caps have given you double the absolute returns of the large cap index. If you see the right extreme column, 87% and 81%. So a longer term investor in mid and small cap always tends to benefit. Right? And another way to look at it, my dear friends, is a rolling returns analysis. Right? So this is a cap of rolling returns analysis of the nifty 50 mid cap and small cap. Why I'm saying this is, if you look at rolling returns, they actually tell you that whenever you invest over a long period of time, this tells you what your expectation should be. So what I'm saying is that if you look at a three-year period in the mid cap and the small cap, percentage of positive return periods, please see the line in the middle. Nifty generally gives you 98% your, your, your capital protected in your positive. But in three years, mid cap and small caps have the potential to take away your capital. Whereas you move to a five-year period, those ratios sharply improve to 191 and 82. So the case I'm making is that, yes, there is a 10 to 15% times that you will still make negative returns, but 90% of the time you make more. And if you look at the average returns and you look at the maximum returns, if the timing is good, it clearly tell you that it's a good time to do that. So I'm now wanting to just give you a quick outlook of our sectoral outlook and how the sectoral indices have done, right? So if you look here, this is one month, three months, six months, and I've shown here the BFSI, IT, Intech, Pharma, Consumption, and Cyclical listings. Why I put it up, broken it up this way is to use that it's only the pharma sector that has been consistently positive because the world expects a vaccine to be found or a cure to be found. And when that happens wherever in the world, they expect Indian pharma generic companies to get the orders to manufacture. So there's this huge positive that has done, right? Okay. So to that extent, that's been all the way. But otherwise, all the indices have been in red as the stock market's performance has been. But I draw your attention to one month returns. And can you see that the safer sectors have given a lesser positive, the riskier cyclical sectors, right, uh, have given a sharp bounce back. So the indications, the market is shifting to a positive risk-oriented approach, right? And this gives you the sectoral composition of various indices to know how the large caps, so the large caps are essentially in the nifty, are essentially bank and IT. So when they do well, large caps do well. Mid caps are in consumer, non-durables to some extent, finance, pharma, software, much more widespread. Same with the small cap, right? So this these slides are about our views. So I will not uh, dwell into that very deeply, right? I just wanted to end with a uh, statement about how Sundaram is managing. So our portfolios are positioned for lower exposure to financials, consumer additionally, and industrials. But within that, we have a bias towards well-run large private banks and good quality assets. That's one. Second, those who have largely leveraged balance sheets, we want to have lower exposure. There are more positive defensives, FMCG, pharma, utilities, specialty companies, and telecom. Right? And we are underweight currently in IT, but we are getting constructive on the sector as we see good balance sheets and the potential for cost savings from So this is our portfolio strategy. And going on from there, I want to skip these and go to the asset allocation. So in the asset allocation part, to those who have an aggressive risk reward approach from the investors, it's a good time to invest in international equity, five to 15% of your portfolio. Why do I say that? I told you, $2 trillion of money is waiting in money market funds to come back to equities. But when they come to equities, they will naturally go 
the safer home territories. So international equities, there are a lot of mutual funds which have international equities. If you choose a diversified international fund, not one country specific, one predict which country is going to come back. Diversified one would serve you well because that's where the first bounce back will occur. I just showcase uh, Sundaram has one global fund called the Global Brand Fund, which is the top 30 brands of the world, which is also poised to do well because it's brands which deal with multiple countries. They may be listed in US and Europe and all that, but they deal with the whole world. So wherever growth rebounds, they are there to capture that. So it's a good diversified portfolio. And look at the terms of this. In the Indian broader market, one year has given negative 16%. It has given positive 13%. Almost 29% alpha. And in this one month bounce back, when the Indian market has bounced about 1.5%, that time, this has bounced 4.5%. Now, when you come to domestic equity allocation, right, to an aggressive risk reward from a cap curve perspective, I would say I have split this up because of the V-shaped curve that I see the economy and the markets coming to. I have split this up as now and after one year. So I would think that you will have to reallocate at the end of a year. Right? So I would say now it should be 50, 30, 20, from large caps, mid caps, small caps. And after a year, you should make it 30%. As you can see, a year later, I would like you to have 70% in mid and small caps because the, I believe the Indian growth story will truly be chugging along that. So those who have an aggressive risk reward. Now the aggressive person will also like to take sectoral calls, sectoral funds or mutual funds. right? So for an aggressive risk reward sector horizon, you must have at least five years as a horizon. Whatever aggression, that can't be from a lesser time frame because Sectoral things have their cycles. So I would say now it should be 40 banking, 90 pharma, which are defensives. Consumption is part defensive, part aggressive. Consumer FMCG is defensive. Consumer discretionary, white goods and all that in auto comes under consumer discretionary, would be the more aggressive. So there is a balance between the two. Services and infra are growth centers. So I would say 40, 30, 20, 10, right? But after one year, I would like you to increase it to consumption because as India grows to recapture the consumption is really And then I would like you to really focus on infra as a doubling it from today. Right? So this would be for an aggressive investor. For a moderate investor, I suggest you don't do this asset allocation. You let the fund manager do. What kind of funds? Large and mid-cap, multi-cap, diversified. Why do I say this? Because these funds. There is a flexibility in field to shift among various scenarios to improve the risk flow. That is, the fund manager can vary the cap curve, vary at will. For you, I'm saying one, one year later. Why? Because one year there's long-term capital gains. I don't want you to unnecessarily short-term capital gains. Correct? Because I believe that one year is when the growth of the world has been shifted back. I believe the one year is when you will have to reallocate. But let the fund manager do earlier or later than one year based on his study. So why as a moderate investor do you take that risk? So just stick to that category, right? So I will show you how we have done. For example, take, we have a large and mid-cap, an equity fund, and a diversified equity. As you can see here, small, mid, large. Today, we have 61, 71, and 69% in large cap. So we are clearly playing the safety card today. But soon we can shift when we see the V recover. That's the beauty of this curve. From a sectoral allocation approach, look at this. My large and mid-cap fund, Today, if you look at the right side, the pie chart gives you a good picture, but right, if you look, banks, safety, finance, safety, 14 plus 12, 26. Consumer non-durables, that is FMCG, safety. So that's again 
Try to see that you don't have commodity-related exposures, NBFCs. These are all going to be the ones that challenge you in the short term. But as long as the portfolio is largely with the banks and corporates, AAA corporates, and all, I wouldn't say not to worry. But it reduces the volatility. And the second beauty of this hybrid category is that the equity component is managed multi-cap by fund managers. So here again, they would tend to be largely in large cap. So if you look at it here, our large cap positioning. Is fifty percent, fifty percent, thirty-four percent in this out of the equity component, right? So if you look at it, there's very little of mid-cap and small-cap in this. So again, the positioning of when the V-shaped recovery takes place to switch more into mid-cap, that flexibility the fund manager carries, and he will manage it to improve your risk-reward situation. So with that being said, I'm doing the same presentation, but I'll be doing it in Hindi. It's called Than Ki Baat. I think there were some people asking why I'm not using Hindi today because today is a purely English one because I wanted to cater to all uh, states of India today. Uh, but I will be doing a pure Hindi one, same presentation, but I'll be running it in Hindi, right? So I think thank you. I've taken a bit slightly longer than I anticipated, but I wanted to explain all the concepts in detail. Uh, thank you very much. Wish you all the best. Stay home and stay safe through this period. The Wise Cast is a podcast initiative by Sundaram Mutual. We hope you like listening to us as much as we love presenting it to you. Stay tuned to the Wisecast to learn more about the world of mutual funds and investing. Mutual fund investments are subject to market risks. Read all scheme-related documents carefully.